Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of RV Miles, your home for RV and camping news, reviews, travel guides, and more. I'm Jason. And I'm Abby. And this is episode 39 of the RV Miles podcast. To get today's show notes, head over to rvmiles.com slash podcast. You can also keep up with RV Miles on social media at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you want to keep up with Jason and I, as we are finally out of New Mexico, you can find us over at ourwanderingfamily.com. And we are also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube. The much neglected YouTube. Just going to throw <laughs> it got, out there. We got to put some videos we, out. We got to do something. We're in a perfect location to be filming. We are coming to you from Zion National Park. The Zion National Park. Incredible. Man, it's not only incredible, the weather is perfect. We've yeah. had upper 60s, lower 70s all week. The crowds aren't bad at all. It's just a wonderful, wonderful time to be here. We're going to cover our experience at Zion on next week's episode. Yeah, because we have a couple more days here. So yeah. we are actually sight hopping too as the week has gone on in order to stay for as long as we have because they don't have space available unless you book it out like six, seven, eight months in advance, you're sight hopping. So we but, will talk about all of that though next week. But hey, we're sitting here with our with our cheap wine in our <laughs> stainless steel <laughs> wine glasses from Walmart. With the watchman like right out our window. So we're doing good. There's we're a lot, okay. of, lot of people with campfires going. We're gonna have a campfire as soon as we're done recording this, I think. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe it's a little it's a little late. But anyway, on this week's episode, we're gonna talk about some things that have been on our mind a little bit this week, mm-hmm. particularly in a very crowded campground, campground etiquette. You know, we've all we all know some of the campground etiquette. Some of you are new, some of you have not heard some of this before. But we're going to go through a list of some of the unspoken rules, the unwritten rules of visiting a campground and playing nice with your neighbors. And then we're going to talk about our little, little jaunt between New Mexico and here to Glen Canyon National Recreation Area. We spent some time at the very bottom tip of it, Lee's Ferry area. We went to Horseshoe Bend. Went over the Navajo Bridge, saw Marble Canyon and the Colorado River, the very tip of Grand Canyon National Park. We're going to talk about our our two days in that area where we actually learned a heck of a lot about a really wonderful place in the final segment of the show. So, But before we do all that, let's get to the news. And without any delay, let's remind everyone that our favorite week is coming up, and that is National Park Week. Starts on Saturday. It does, and it begins with, what's it, the National Junior Ranger Day? Is yes. Is what they call it on Saturday? Yes. Junior Ranger Day. And we are very excited because this Saturday we're going to take in Junior Ranger Day from Lake Mead. And we've actually been talking to Christine over at Lake Mead, so I'm really excited to head over there and see what they have planned for all the Junior Rangers and then meet them because they want to talk to us about the National Parks podcast. They have some stories they want to they want to push to us that they'd like us to tell about that area. And I'm excited to learn about it. I just think I said excited like 17 times. Do not email me and tell me I just said excited 17 times. I know I did. <laughs> we are enjoying going around and finding ideas for the National Parks podcast. And we do hope you'll 
go over and check out the America's National Parks podcast. We'll link to it in the show notes, of course, but it's available on any of your podcast apps. Wherever you listen to this one, you'll come find that one. This week's episode was actually inspired by our visit over to the Glen Canyon National Recreation Area and especially that Navajo Bridge where we saw a California condor. And we decided to do a whole episode on the recovery of the California condors. There were 22 left, and now there are almost 450 because of a very controversial decision to capture all the ones that were left in the wild and breed them. Don't and, give the whole podcast. Oh, I'm well, cutting you no. off right now. All right. You are I won't about give any to more just away yeah. than that. You are reciting the entire podcast on this show right now. I think you have <laughs> forgotten that we're here to talk about RV Miles News and National Park Week, which is going to have a ton of stuff happening all across all 400 plus sites. We'll link in the show notes where you can go to get schedules, find a park near you. And many parks are going to have a free day. Yes. During the week as well. So and it coincides with Earth Day, yeah. which is this weekend as well. And our final piece of news this week is about the dry weather that's happening right now in the West. If you haven't noticed, if you're out in the East, the weather in the West is really, really dry this year. There has been very, very little rain and fire conditions are just absolutely terrible at the moment. Luckily, fires, there haven't been a lot of fire outbreaks right now, but the conditions are prime for them. So much so that public campgrounds in Colorado are not only are they not allowing fires, even if they're in a fire ring, they're not allowing charcoal grills and they're not even allowing you to smoke outside. If you're a smoker in Colorado campgrounds, and I imagine a few of these other states that are in the zone, you actually have to smoke inside your vehicle. And we're talking about all forms of smoking here because you're in Colorado. <laughs> so just keep that in mind. But, you know, I mean, that just goes to show the severity of it. Yeah. Well, when we were in New Mexico, not to throw it back to New Mexico, but I'm going to, I was listening to one of the public radio stations and they were talking about the fact that they expected an extremely dry year, that a drought almost for farmers. They were concerned there was about 50% less snow up on the mountains for this time of year than in years past. So you have a lot of things coming into play. And I'm sure people in the Midwest and the East are like, can I send you some snow? <laughs> I have some because it's the middle of April and I'm buried under two feet. So there's a lot of interesting things happening with our weather right now in the West. What is happening is it's very dry. It's very dangerous. And it's it's spring in the in the west and southwest is always very windy as well, especially yes. down here in New Mexico, Arizona, Utah. The wind obviously is a huge factor in wildfires. I don't think we have passed in the 12 weeks that we've been in this area. I don't think that we have passed one of those fire grade signs that has ever been in the low. Yeah. It has set in the moderate yeah. to extreme to severe categories the whole time we've been here. That's just what's happening in this area right now. So if you're out camping, you may not be able to have a campfire. You most likely will not. I am surprised that here in Zion, we have campfires. They're completely cool with yeah. that. Yeah. Well, this canyon itself, especially, it's, it has its own weather patterns almost. <laughs> it's it's a little protected a little from crazy. everything. You know, the other thing that, that we learned, I learned down in, in Guadalupe, and I didn't know this, 
you know, fires are now known to be good for forests in general. They're what gives the forest rebirth. They open up the pine cones and, and all that. But the problem is man-caused fires are usually not associated with a storm like a nature-caused fire is associated with lightning and a storm. So a fire is often contained a bit by the rain that happens at the same time. Mm -hmm. And the human-caused fires, of course, don't do that. So anyway, if you're anywhere in the western states or you're traveling to those places, don't plan to have a campfire. It's probably not going to happen. And, That's okay, though. And be very careful, obviously, and, and get your campfires completely out if you do have them. And if you're using a grill, put that out completely, all that good stuff. All right, let's take a break. And when we come back, we are going to talk about campground etiquette. Be how right to, back. How to be nice to people. Be nice. <laughs> We are back and we are here to talk about campground etiquette. But first, let's talk about last week's brain teaser and more importantly, the answer to it. Yes. It went like this. It was a simple one. This is a classic little riddle. What is black when you buy it, red when you use it, and gray when you throw it away? I'm not talking to you about this. We're still. We're it's not st lipstick. We're still having a marital discussion from last week. So I'm just going to sit back over here, let you do your thing. <laughs> we actually just mentioned the, the answer to this. The answer is charcoal or coal. It's black when you buy it, red when you use it, and gray when you throw it away. And we had a ton of answers to this one. Like I said, y'all Googled it. <laughs> <laughs> but nobody... Nobody backed me up. Nobody backed Nobody you up. Backed Nobody me backed me up. It's all right. It's okay. I'll be out here on this island by myself. Because your answer was ridiculous. No, my answer, <laughs> my answer was logical. And I was able to justify it and support it through our conversation. You know what? Let's not do this. <laughs> who who won this week? Who's getting a t-shirt? <laughs> all right. The and the winner this week is Eric Danielson from South Dakota who will receive a Not All Who Wander Are Lost t-shirt from the RV Miles collection available on Amazon.com. The RV that Miles I need to start collection. adding some more, too. We only have three t-shirts. Three yeah, it's not we quite a collection more. at this point. Well, it's not a pair. <laughs> three is a collection. This is, okay. That's fine. Congratulations, Eric. Thank you for playing along, even though you totally should have written it and said lipstick. That's all right. That's all right. I forgive you. Enjoy the t-shirt, sir. So let's talk about campground etiquette. A lot of this comes down to the very simple golden rule, do unto others. Mm -hmm. The problem with the golden rule <laughs> is some people don't care. <laughs> well, some people just have different levels of yeah. what they find acceptable. Yeah. And again, to each their own. But it's really important when you're in a campground and you're in a shared space because we are in a shared space that we be mindful of those that are around us. And we're not going to drive this list home and beat it over the yeah, head. Yeah, we're not here we're to just, chastise people. No, the, absolutely the goal not. here is like, 
a lot of people that are listening to us are new to camping. They're thinking about buying an RV. Our goal here is for you to be able to go to a campground and feel comfortable and not think that you might be doing something wrong. And the flip side to that is it is also nice for those of us who have been at this for a while to just revisit the basics. I am positive that the noise level one we're going to discuss has been broken by the Eppersons on a pretty regular basis, either by the kids or by me yelling at the kids. Not going to lie. Yeah, I'm certainly guilty of that one, too. Anyway, let's jump right into this list. First off, the big one. Everybody knows, and that you should know, too, no walking through somebody else's campsite. No, don't do it. It's just like being at home. You wouldn't want somebody walking through your yard for no reason. Isn't it awkward to be the one walking through someone else's campsite? I, I never, it would I have never... never crossed my mind to do such a thing, but people just do it. Now, there are situations. There are situations where, you know, a ball goes into a campsite or there are situations where you have several campsites that back up to one another and there's sort of a shared space area behind them. And obviously, if you're the, the people next to another camper, you're going to walk around your RV to the other side and do things. And that's all okay. We all know what the boundaries are. Right. You know, I think, and obviously too, if you're just beelining it for the bathroom because, well, it's a situation, then fine. <laughs> I'm happy to let you walk through the campsite. But I think everything comes with its own little invisible line. And we know what is and isn't appropriate to cross. But it does, amazingly enough, bear reminding that you shouldn't walk through someone's campsite just because it's the quicker way to get back to yours. Yeah. Number two, and this is sort of the second biggest rule that that people mention, is obey the quiet hours. Yes, please do. And here's the thing about quiet hours. So most campgrounds have quiet hours. Usually it's like 10 p.m. to 7 a.m. Sometimes it's later on the weekends. Whatever it is, most campgrounds do not enforce them. Most campgrounds don't have people to enforce anything. They just, you know, they have camp hosts that aren't paid very much. Or at all. But or at all. they're just enjoying a free camp spot, though. So the thing is, is it's all sort of a, you know, on your honor thing. So obey the quiet hours because a lot of people are, they might have small children. They might be getting up early to go on a hike, all that sort of stuff. And that doesn't mean that you can't be outside. That doesn't mean you can't be by your campfire. It just means no music, no songs, no loud noises. You can hang out and talk. That's all fine unless you're up against somebody else's RV. But just, you know, keep it down. This also applies to the morning. Yeah, this is a really interesting one, too, because I hadn't really thought about the flip of that where your morning routine, if you're an early riser, and I'm talking early, like 536, I want to catch the sunrise kind of riser. Not everyone else in the campground is that type of individual. So just as much as it's important that when quiet hours begin, should you rise before quiet hours end, that you still be really respectful of that. And I think it just kind of bears reminding, too, that while we're all inside our own RV sleeping or inside our own tent, these are not thick walls. These no. are not soundproof spaces. We're still all pretty close to one another in campgrounds. And, and tents 
walls are even thinner. Tents are just, tents are basically a curtain. So we can hear you. You can hear us for the most part, especially when it's nice and quiet. It's just something that I think is really important to keeping a happy camp with you and those around you. Now, I also think, though, there are those campgrounds that they are just on the weekends. They are the party campgrounds. The party campgrounds. These are the places that have karaoke and dance parties. And this is Tonganoxie Lake <laughs> in Kansas. And I, growing up, went to a few of these family get togethers where we were probably the campground or the recreation area that was really ticking everybody else off in the area. Yeah. So when you go to those places, I think you just have to expect that there's going to be a little bit noise. It's going to go a little late. Now, that doesn't mean that you should expect loud thumping music until two in the morning. But most of those places end up having later quiet hours anyway. The one that we've spent a lot of time at, Fish Lake Beach in Illinois, usually has, I think their quiet hour is midnight on Friday and Saturday Party nights. Party campground so. <laughs> on the weekends. So obviously, yes, obey those quiet hours if they are posted. And if they aren't posted, just be responsible to make up your own quiet hours. <laughs> Next one is build respectful campfires. And what we mean by this is build campfires that are not, you know, roaring bonfires that are going to send sparking embers onto your neighbor's awning. And, yeah, nobody wants that. And campfires that aren't too smoky. You know, if your campfire is too smoky, there's something wrong. It's either not hot enough or the wood's too wet. And you might have to just give up, especially if it's windy and the wind's blowing all the smoke over on your neighbor's campsite and smoking them out. It's okay to give up your campfire. You're not enjoying it either if that's the situation. Yeah, because you're spending all your time trying to figure out why it's smoking and you and the person you're with are probably arguing about it. So <laughs> you might as well just stop doing it. I think part of that comes too is try not to throw just your random trash into the fire either. Yeah. Because that will create smells and that will also contribute to a bad vibe with your neighbors. Yeah, a, a piece of paper, a paper plate, that kind of thing is fine, but... Don't get throwing it. Pla and I've done it. Everyone's yes, done it. Yes, we've had some conversations. <laughs> Don't throw your plastic silverware, your water bottles, anything like that, because that plastic stuff really does smoke and it's nasty. If you're throwing it in there because you all want to stand around and watch it burn, it's probably not something you should throw <laughs> in there. Like if it excites everyone to stand around and watch it burn, it shouldn't go in the campfire. Along those lines, put your campfire out. Now, that seems obvious while we're here in the West, um, but a lot of people don't do it here or the Midwest and the East where we're from. A lot of people just let their fires burn out and let them, you know, go out in the night. And the problem with that is, A, when they get low, they get really smoky. And that neighbor of yours that might have been holding it together while you have a smoky campfire until you go to bed, then their neighbor might still be dealing with your smoky embers until, you know, one in the morning. The other thing is it's not safe for many reasons. You could start a forest fire, but also and this really touches me a little bit because one of our kids one time accidentally tripped 
over a a fire pit that that oh. hadn't been used and fell right into it. Oh my gosh, yes. Luckily there was nobody camping on that site. Um you know, he shouldn't be walking through a campsite, but because nobody was on that site, that's why he was going through it. Yeah, he was playing with a bunch of uh, kids and it was in and dark. around, yeah. And he tripped into a uh, a fire pit and was young and obviously if there were embers in there it would have been a whole different situation oh this story just makes my heart stop so you keep bringing it up like you just can't stop talking so douse your campfire with water when you're done with it till it is complete till you could put your hands in there because we've also had people tell us that they were surprised the next morning when they got up they made breakfast they're done with their paper plate or whatever. They tossed a little napkin or something on the fire and they were surprised that, that it was flames that it caught fire. And your fire stays that hot all it's night. Hot. It does. All right. Let's talk about pets a little bit. We love them. We love pets. Pets are a big reason why people RV because it's hard to take your pets on trips otherwise. So people take an RV out and they can bring their pets along with them. That's great. Your campsite is not like your backyard at home where you let your dog out to just go to the bathroom and then you let him back in and you leave it there. Yeah, you don't do that, please. <laughs> please clean up after your pets and please keep your pets on a leash. The number of times we've been by people that have their pets off a leash, even as nice as their pets might be. The problem is there are other pets around as well. Mm hmm. And some of those might not be so nice. Situations happen where they run off and you're bringing your pets to places where they're not familiar. So it's not like when you're back home and you let your pet out and it's not on a leash and it knows how to get back home. It might not be the same sort of situation because they're in a new territory. Keep them on a leash. It's safer for them. It's safer for the animals around them. It's safer for the kids around them. It's all around an important thing to do. Well, here in Zion, too, there are mule deer that are coming up right into the mm -hmm. campground. And that could be, should you not have your pet on a leash and should there be a situation, that could be a very dangerous, harmful situation yeah. for your, your loved one, Those your fur baby. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we watched a mule deer today sit just 10 feet from a camper snacking away and then just plopped right down and you couldn't once that mule deer sat down in that tall grass you are you couldn't see it and were you to open up that if you had been that camper and you were to open up that door and you were going to let your pet out they would not have seen that mule deer yeah. that was down in the grass yeah. next is about what happens when you leave your campsite leave it cleaner than you found it leave no trace that goes without saying to a lot of people, but others think it's like a hotel room. Housekeeping is going to come by and clean up after you. And you might have more of that feeling in some of the private campgrounds or even some of the public campgrounds where the camp hosts are very good about prepping a site for you. It was so perfect when you got in that you think, well, they're just going to do all that stuff again for you to leave. Make their job easier. Put the site back how you found it. If you move the picnic table, put the picnic table back where it was. It's a campsite. It's not that hard to keep clean. So can that segue into the checkout time? Yeah. Let's segue into that. I think this so, is a good place. To so go here at Zion, we um, 
a lot of people are sort of in this situation where the campground book six months out, we're in the park itself and book solid. And a lot of people get these one night reservations like we have, and we are hopping from campsite to campsite nearly every night because we didn't book six months out and checkout time is 11. And what happens is that one person doesn't leave at 11. The person that is supposed to be moving to their site can't leave their site. And the person that's supposed to be moving to their site can't leave their site. And you get this big chain reaction and the camp hosts are angry and there's nothing anybody can do about it because they can't find the person in the first site in the chain. Long story <laughs> short, short story long, really. If the checkout is 11, you have till 10, 59 and 59. Yeah. And then you must go. You should be gone. Not at 11.01, not 11.02, not 11.03. You need that magnet or that souvenir from the gift shop. You go get it and you get back to your site and you go because that has been incredibly frustrating for us as we have been here because it delays all of us from being able to enjoy the reservation that we have and to enjoy the park that we're at because we are all sitting and waiting for one person at the top of the chain to let us all continue to move forward. Whether or not it's a busy park like this, be respectful of the campground, of the camp hosts that are working their tails off and and just move. Yeah. You know? And if you're not ready to go here at Zion, they have RV parking. So if you're not actually ready to leave the campground, but your reservation is up, it's time for you to exit the spot. You may be able to then go over and park in the RV parking lot and continue to enjoy your day at that park. But you have left the space that was no longer yours to have anymore. And I think the flip side to that, too, is to make sure that you know what time check in is. It's really important because a lot of times there's a window. If checkout is at 11, usually check in isn't going to happen till one or two. There's a window. Now, they'll probably let you come in early, that's fine. But if you opt to come at the time of check-in or later, you're giving them the time to go over into your site and make sure that it's prepared for the next individual. Something to think about. Yeah. We do not ourselves always abide by that. And a lot of times we arrive when we arrive, but we also know that if we arrive before check-in, they may say to us, no, you can't go in yet. It's after two o'clock. You're going to have to park and wait. All right. Let's talk a little bit about nighttime and arriving and driving at nighttime. And we've covered this before in our driving at night podcast, so we won't go too far into it. So number one, when you show up late, do the bare minimum to set up. Plug in and go to bed. (laughs) Do, Do what you need to do and then go to bed. Don't be out there setting up your screened in tent and getting all your chairs out and and your rugs and everything with all your lights blaring after quiet time. You know, quiet time is quiet time. So if it's not quiet time yet, you do whatever you want. But if it's after quiet time, arrive, plug in, do what you need to do and and go inside. Along those lines, if you're driving around the campground at night, if you're arriving late in the campground just as you're there in your tow vehicle or or whatever vehicle you drive around, couple tips for doing so in a respectful manner. Now, this is not required at all. It's just a nice thing to do. One is shut your headlights off and use your fog lights if it's safe, if you feel safe doing that. 
That way you're not just washing your headlights across everybody's bedroom windows, across all these tents and everything. I'm here. As we're coming I've arrived. Into the, campground. <laughs> the party can start now. I like to do that. I, I like to pop those fog lights on and it's usually plenty to see and makes me feel a little less disrespectful of the people who are sleeping. Number two is, is try to avoid using the, the lock on your keychain that, that honks the horn on your car. You can, <laughs> you can actually disable that on a lot of cars. Ours, you can go in on the dash and you can disable it. And then just the parking lights flash when you, when you shut it off. So I don't know that a lot of people care about it, but I feel so self-conscious that my car is going to honk its horn when I lock it. And if, if I'm arriving at midnight or whatever time it is. Yeah. I agree. So the next one is, and this is a big pet peeve of ours, and this is one that we will chastise people for and we will get angry with. It's really the only one that we will get angry with anybody over. Oh, yeah. Drive slow. Oh, yeah. Slow it down. I was so frustrated when we were at Navajo Lake in New Mexico, the last New Mexico campground we were at, because people were flying through there and they were flying right by the kids as they were playing in the campground. And I got to the point where I just couldn't let the kids go out there and play by themselves. I had to go out there and sit because I was really frustrated with how fast people were going. And people might say, well, keep your kids out of the roadway. And My kids weren't in the roadway. My kids weren't in the roadway, but campgrounds, you know, the road is shared. It's a walking path and it's a driving path. It's not like driving down a neighborhood street where you've got sidewalks and all that. You're you're supposed to walk down the street in a campground. Otherwise, you're walking through people's sights and nobody <laughs> wants to walk in through their sight. Along those lines, bikes are vehicles too. treat a bike as a vehicle. You should always be driving a bike at a reasonable speed through a campground and not crashing into people. Not surprising them around corners silently as you fly through. Your kids shouldn't either. And you should not be driving bikes against the direction of a one-way. That sort of stuff. Treat a bike as a vehicle because it is. I know. We need to work with Jack on this too as you're talking about it. Because he's kind of all over the place when he's on his bike. Next one is use the Wi-Fi sparingly. If you're lucky enough to get it. We all know that campground Wi-Fi is absolutely terrible when it lasts. But the reason it's so terrible is that one person that's on Netflix somewhere <laughs> is really slowing it down for everybody. It's Henry watching Power <laughs> Rangers. <laughs> Use the Wi-Fi for your checking your Facebook, sending an email, that sort of stuff. Don't use it as your entertainment center to watch TV because you're really just bogging it down. For everybody else. This one should have been earlier in the list here. I should have said this with the We're fire. We're out of order. With the oh, fire no. stuff. We're a little out of order. Obey the firewood travel bans. Oh, yes. Please do. The emerald ash borer and other insects are a huge problem. And if you don't know this, many states either don't allow you to cross firewood over state lines or they don't allow you to take it over a certain distance or they just don't allow you to take it in the state parks at all. So really check out those. We'll link to don'tmovefirewood.org, which is a great website that compiles all the different firewood quarantines. When you hook up at a full hookup campsite, 
check your sewer hose every time to make sure that it is A, installed correctly, and B, has no cracks. This happens all the time. I've seen people posting on this on Facebook all the time where your neighbor has a sewer hose with a crack in it and they don't know it because they just hooked up when it was dry and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, your sewer hose is generally in someone else's campsite on your other side. So their sewer hose starts leaking and starts smelling up the campsite. Sewer hoses, they get old, they, they're plastic, they crack. Make sure you check them every single time because nobody wants to deal with that. Ain't nobody got time for the crack. <laughs> in- <laughs> I can't even finish the sentence. I just, please check your sewer hose, please. The final one we want to talk about is generator courtesy. A lot of campgrounds have rules about when you can use a generator or if you can at all. If you are at a campground that has electric sites and it has non-electric sites and you are in the non-electric sites, generally it is not okay to ever use a generator. If you need a generator, you should buy an electric site. Generators are for campgrounds that have no electric at all. Now, there are some exceptions to that. Generally, they will say as you enter whether or not you can use the generator. When we were at City of Rocks in New Mexico, those who were out boondocking in and among the rocks, they did use their generators. Yeah, that's a place where the the non-electric sites are sort of separate. Yeah, there's some separation. And there are only like six electric sites. Yes, but when we were at the Army Corps of Engineers site near Santa Fe, Albuquerque, those non-electric sites were mixed in with the electric sites. They were not allowed to use their generators. So I think it's really on a campground-by-campground basis. If in doubt, ask. And generally, there are going to be times when you can use a generator. Sometimes in national parks, that's going to be they might say it's from eight to ten in the morning and then from four to six four to six in the evening. Or they might say you're allowed to use it during the non-quiet hours, whatever they say, obey it. But also just be respectful of the fact that people are out here to enjoy the peace of camping. Yeah, you're breaking the silence, which is something that a lot of us who do go camping are going for that ability to escape the noise of everyday life. If it's 76 degrees outside and you absolutely need air conditioning when it's 76 degrees outside, you need to get an electric site. You need to to go to a campground that needs electricity. You shouldn't be running your generator all day for air conditioning unless it's like extremely hot and it's a health situation. You have pets or that sort of thing. Then that makes sense. But, you know, like 76 degrees, be respectful of the fact that somebody wants to sit outside and read a book. Yeah. Fire your generator up when you're cooking or whenever you might need it. Absolutely. All right. That's our tips for camping etiquette. If you have some ideas for camping etiquette, we're going to throw them all together into an article. Send them over to us at editor at RVMiles.com or send us a message on Facebook or any other social media. And we'll incorporate some of your ideas in our post about camping nicely with friends. 
Camping with friends. <laughs> All right, let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Glen Canyon National Recreation Area. Just the little, just the southern tip of it. The teeny tiny little part of it that we visited. All right, we'll be back. Okay, we are back and we wanted to talk about our wonderful experience traveling from northern New Mexico over to Zion. We spent two days in Glen Canyon, two days in Arizona, two days on Pacific time, and we had like a great time. It was, time. I, I will, I'll, I'll go this far. I have yet to experience something at Zion that beats my experience there really yeah i will say this the colorado river the few views that we had of it from the navajo bridge and then when we went down and we were watching the rafts put in to go down to grand canyon both of those times brought me to tears there was something about the power of the colorado river knowing what lay down at the end of it that I felt incredibly overwhelmed by it. I can't explain it. I'm not generally one to get moved in that particular way. I found myself tearing up several times during our time there. It's a very beautiful place that just feels like the beginning of something really incredible. So we had a beautiful, if very sandy and windy drive Oh my! from goodness. Navajo Lake State Park in New Mexico. I don't think you are expressing just how sandy this drive was. I'm still finding sand. Yeah. Inside. I mean, it was, we drove through a sandstorm. Yeah. It, it was it was rough, but it was still beautiful. We we got to drive past a little bit of Monument Valley and all that, and and ended up at Lee's Ferry, which is this recreation area at the bottom of Glen Canyon. Now, before we get to there, though, we should mention that we stopped at Four Corners. We did stop at Four we Corners. Did. We should mention that. We Four paid Corners, to go in. Five bucks a person. Yes. It's uh, it's free for... Six and under. And it's cool. It was really cool. The thing is, is we, Jason and I, debated whether or not we were going to stop because we thought it was a little ridiculous to pay 20 bucks to go stand at the Four Corners. But... This was something that Jack has been talking about since long before we became a full-time travel family. We had talked to him about that there's this place where you can stand in four states at one time. We didn't know when the opportunity was going to arise that we would be back through this way again. We did it for him. I'm glad we did it. The kids thought that it was just so awesome that they were standing in four states all at once and they were having the best time. We did not stay long because, like Jason said, we had been driving through a sandstorm. And, and it was wind, windy here, too. Yes. they have. It was awful. They have it set up. It's, uh, it, it's on Navajo land, uh, and it's operated by the Navajo. They have it set up with four sort of sets of vendor stalls on all different sides of the, the plaque where the four corners actually is. So you do get a little bit of a windbreak. Not a ton. It wasn't very busy when we were there, but it clearly gets very busy. They have yeah. like signs saying 
free pictures only. And not all the vendor stalls were full. There yeah, were just there a were few. only a few there. The parking kind of stinks. Uh, it's it's a little rough, but they're working on it. So it's okay. It was a 15-minute detour for us. I don't think I would recommend going a long way to get here. No, unless you've got someone that just their whole world will come crashing in if they don't yeah. get to stand at the four corners. I'm not quite sure I would say it's worth taking a detour on your route to your destination to go to. No offense to anyone who loves the four corners. I mean, I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun to do. I thought it was, it was cool. Kitschy. It's and, just, and it's, it's a, kitschy. It's a one time thing. You don't. Yeah. You wouldn't really go back to do this, but it's a kitschy thing to do on the way. Yeah. So, and we got a fantastic picture of Henry doing some swag little pose. <laughs> it was great. We got a couple of really great fun family pictures. The joy that Jack received was worth every penny that we paid to go. So we drove past Four Corners. We drove past the Monument Valley area. If you do want to go to Monument Valley, it is also on Navajo land. It is not a National Park Service site. And really what we've heard, the best way to do that is to go to one of the campgrounds and book a tour where they drive you through it so you're not destroying your vehicle on on some really bouncy terrain. Let the, somebody else destroy their vehicle. <laughs> they, they say the tours are very well worth it, though. So we drove past that, and we made it through just some lovely scenery in Arizona, then down a very steep grade to yeah. Lee's Ferry at the southern tip of Glen Canyon. I think my palms are still sweating from that drive down because <laughs> it was steep, and it was really the first time we've encountered something like that. Yeah. And you were awesome. You did great. But for those of us who were sitting on the passenger side of the bus and had the straight look down, it was, uh, <laughs> I just kept looking forward and being like, this will be over soon. <laughs> so Lee's Ferry, it's this beautiful area where the Colorado River just about cuts into Marble Canyon. So Marble Canyon is just downstream from Lee's Ferry, which is a very deep canyon that, that we'll talk about in a minute. It's these beautiful red rock formations, you know, typical northern Arizona scenery. Gorgeous place. We really wished we had more time to wander around it, to take more of the trails. Yeah. And the campground itself is $20 a night. There is no electric, no hookups whatsoever. There is a dump station, but no hookups whatsoever for 20 bucks a night. There's also no showers. There are flush toilets. And the bathhouse is infested with these really crazy spiders at night. So don't go in there unless you have to. The men's wasn't. So, okay. Well, they know. were all hanging out in the ladies' room then. <laughs> but it's so, the scenery is so beautiful. And the campsites are very nice. It's really well laid out. I think there's 22, 25 yeah, spots. Yeah, not a ton. Not a ton. It's first come, first serve. You're right there at the Colorado River. You can have a view of it from your RV if you're further down in the campground. So, this is the place where. Rafting trips, as Abby alluded to a, a minute ago, where rafting trips down into the Grand Canyon begin. So we got to see a lot of rafting trips getting ready to go and, and putting in and going down with their boats loaded up with camping gear and food and all that sort of stuff. And th you actually cross a little line. There, There's a sign that says entering the Grand Canyon National Park because the river itself is not a part of 
Glen Canyon National Recreation Area. The river there, just the river and a little bit of shoreline, is actually part of Grand Canyon National Park. Yeah, so you do get cool. to step into the national park. It was very cool. And it was inspiring and exciting to watch these rafters take off and they hit the rapids kind of almost immediately. And the joy that they all had on this trip that they were about to embark on gave me goosebumps and definitely made me want to also do it. There's a really wonderful trail that we took in that same area. There's sort of like a boat ramp and you can park in there and then they have this Lee's Ferry Trail, I think was the name yeah, of it. Yeah, Lee's Ferry was a, a ferry crossing that was a failure many times at, many at the times Colorado. Over. A lot of drownings happened uh, here. There was sort of like a cable car, a cable boat, I should say, ferry crossing. And you can see some of the remnants of that. There's not much of that really to see. No, but they have some of the buildings yeah. that are still standing. And that's, for me, I always really enjoy seeing stuff of that nature. You can see the steamboat remnants of the steamboat, the last one that they tried to use but failed because they couldn't, didn't yeah. have enough power to get up the river. They so. bought this steamboat and they, ha they had it shipped there and put it together and used it once and realized it didn't have the power to go up the Colorado. And then just left it docked and then it eventually it sunk. So now that all that's left is sort of like a boiler that is peeking out of the water. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the real, the real nice part about this trail is you get to sort of walk up the Colorado river for a while. Yeah. And we had the most amazing experience catching wild horses, wild horses. across the river from us traipsing through the river, drinking the water. There was a playing. baby with its mama. That was the first time I have ever seen wild horses. And there's just something about seeing a horse in its natural environment, just free. That is so, it was another one of those moments where I, I felt very strongly moved by the environment we were in and very fortunate to be able to look upon them because that is also not really something you commonly see. They were so, though, not phased by the boats that were coming down the Colorado. And at the same time, those boats coming down had no idea that they were passing yeah, by these wild horses. Them, didn't even notice. No clue. So this is a national recreation area, which means that your annual pass or your senior pass or your access pass will get you in. There is a fee otherwise to just go in and visit the park. And then it, your senior pass or your access pass will get you half off of the camping there as well. And there are some amazing trails within here. Also, right next to Glen Canyon is Vermilion Cliffs. Yeah, you're right up against Vermilion Cliffs National Monument. It's sort of part of it, really. Yeah. And so you're getting sort of a double whammy. You're getting yeah. these spectacular cliffs. Then you're getting the Colorado River. When you stand on the Navajo Bridge and look down into the river and you see the canyon, what it has cut just there, visually, there is so much to see in this one little section that it's it's overwhelming. Yeah. So at the at the tip outside of the southern entrance of the park is the Navajo Bridge. And this is a historic bridge that was built in the early 1900s to cross the Colorado River. And it has since been replaced with a second bridge right next to it that is sort of made to look like it. So the original bridge is now a walking bridge. 
and you can go out across it and you're over now marble canyon which starts right there as well and marble canyon is sort of a deep cut of the colorado river yes. straight up cliffs uh down into it so you can walk across the the bridge you can go in there's a little visitor center with a gift shop you can get your passport stamped and like we said earlier we saw a condor we did and that sort of sparked what ended up being this week's podcast because as we were standing there there was a gentleman next to me who had a telescope and he had it focused on the condor because the condor was down under the bridge and he pointed out that it has a tracker on it that it has a number on it so he let me look in there and I was taking a look at the bird and I came back and was talking to Jason about it and around at that same time a woman showed up who had an antenna and she was walking around and so people started talking to her while she is a conservationist, a biologist in the area that tracks the condors. And she was there looking to see if any were around. And so through all these just like little chance encounters, we started to learn more about the story of the California condor and how it was on the absolute tip, tip, tip brink of extinction. And this is the largest bird in North America. Nine foot wingspan, nine feet. Yeah. They're not the prettiest birds to look at, if depending on what your definition of yeah. pretty is, I should say. But they are so powerful. You just look at it and you know that you're looking at something incredibly special. So I don't want to give away the whole story, but we did a little research into it and decided that it would make a really excellent podcast. And now there are over 400 in the wild. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. That's inaccurate. No, there are 400 total. There are like 270 yeah. wild. Yeah. In, in the California condors, you can see at Pinnacles National Park, mainly you can see them sometimes over Zion. But this is this bridge is a place where they are very commonly seen. They love for some reason to hang out on this bridge. So check out that episode of the America's National Parks podcast. I think you'll really love it. The final thing that we sort of did in this area. The most daring heart-stopping thing I have done with the kids in a very long time. Was Horseshoe Bend. Horseshoe Bend. I cannot wait to go back to Horseshoe Bend when they finally finish putting in the fence. <laughs> I will be there with bells on. So Horseshoe Bend is sort of this classic image of the Colorado River that if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm sure you've seen images of it and don't realize it. Just Google it real quick. You'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. It is a very deep cut in the Colorado river that makes a, a horseshoe shape. It is more than a 180 degree turn. It's over a 200 degree turn and the, you know, thousand foot drop off. Uh, I feel going really up to the edge of this place. I mean, my palms are starting to sweat a little <laughs> bit talking about this. So and it's just a roadside stop. You yeah. know, it, it's you, there's a, a big parking lot bunch of RVs and cars are parked there and you have to walk this trail. It's deceptively difficult trail. It's, well, it's deceptively difficult even more so when the wind, the wind we had an, it was a bad wind day and it was kicking up sand just smacking you all over the place. There's nowhere to hide from it. So but it's you you take a steep walk up and then a steep walk down yeah. and then you have to come back up and back down. And they're doing a lot of work 
right now yeah. to Horseshoe Bend. They are creating a trail that's really going to interact more with the natural surroundings. They're creating more places to be protected and have some shade. They're also putting up a fence. And thank goodness they are because we got to the end of the trail where the big thousand foot drop off and it's just a drop. It's there's no like couple ledges and then you fall. It is straight down. People are crazy. I the, this is the yeah. I mean, we would have been fine if a it wasn't windy and b there weren't 200 idiots there. <laughs> I know. And I hate, you know, I don't like to pass judgment on others. No, I but they say a lot to each their own. I watched a woman who wanted to have her picture taken go up to the edge. She had her back to Horseshoe Bend. She stepped back. She tripped on a rock. She fell on her butt and she fell, not feet, inches from the edge. I walked over to Jason and I said, Right now, we have to go. I cannot handle the amount of people up here and how unaware they are of they're, how dangerous they're this just, is. They're standing right on the edge, taking selfies, unaware of their surroundings. And it's not its not that maybe that would be fine if there were just a few people there, but there are hundreds of people and they're bumping into each yeah. other and their kids are running around and they're not watching their or kids. Or they're picking their kids up and walking them to the edge oh. to show them. I couldn't. Some people that may not bother them. I just, I had so much anxiety. Jason, Jason has his hands over his mouth right now. This is how sort of uncomfortable we were. So we decided that this is a really cool place. And yes, we wish we could have gotten a better view of Horseshoe Bend, but it didn't feel right. And when it doesn't feel right, you have to honor that. And you have to say, we need to remove ourselves from this. It just doesn't feel right to us right now. So we decided to leave. And as we were leaving, the wind just really picked up. And poor Ethan, he just started crying because it hurt so bad. It, it was we're talking, his yeah, face. it's it's the kind where where the sand is pelting you. Yeah, you know, so it got really bad, and not even sand, little rocks. Yeah, and so it wasn't the greatest experience for the Eppersons. I'm really do look forward to returning someday yeah. and trying that out again. Cause it's beautiful. It's oh. incredibly beautiful. The little peak I got of horseshoe bend was breathtaking. So just be aware. I, I would recommend even once they do finish the construction there, that if it is a wind advisory day, which it was for us and we should have been smarter, we're talking 50, 60 mile hour wind gusts or what we were getting. We shouldn't have gone. Yeah. Just wasn't a it, it, live and learn. And we learned we can pass on to you that should you find yourself in that area, it's definitely a beautiful thing to see. It's definitely not worth it if you're under a wind advisory or you are uncomfortable with heights. And go go early in the morning when there aren't very many people around. <laughs> and there are definitely going to be a lot of people around in the evening because it's a sunset spot. Mm -hmm. So go early in the morning and and you'll avoid all those crowds of scary people we love you horseshoe bend we'll see you next time <laughs> all right let's wrap this episode up with a brain teaser go for it every day a cyclist crosses the border between the united states and mexico he's carrying a bag no matter how much custom officials investigate him they don't know what he's smuggling they know he's smuggling something he's gotta be but what is it do you know 
If you know the answer, send us an email at editor at rvmiles.com and you might win a Not All Who Wander Are Lost t-shirt. All right. And that's going to do it for us this week, you guys. Thanks so much for joining us. If you have any questions for us, you can find us over at editor at rvmiles.com. Please don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. Share us around social media. But until next week, keep logging those RV miles and we'll see you later. Bye. Bye.